Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is Strictly Confidential. Jackson, well, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here today. We've got a lot of things on the docket, so we'll go ahead and get this meeting started. Let's start with our mission statement. <clears throat> hey, Jackson, how was your week? So I was thinking we should change our mission statement for uh, just... I, I thought I'd bring this up at the beginning of this show. What if we changed our mission statement to thank God for Taco Bell? Okay. Not really like an action item, but I can agree with the sentiment. Well, I feel like it, it is an action item because we've established this mission statement that we start every show with, and I think it's valuable the way the way elementary schoolers start every show with the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> and I would like to start our show with our mission statement, that is, we would like, as Strictly Confidential, to thank God for Taco Bell. Okay, that, that's the right mindset. You start from a position of gratitude. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, my week's been uh, very good. Definitely feeling a little bit of the sniffles. As it is sniffle season. Can't wait for that additional ASMR. Oh, yeah. Ooh, the tingles. What's next on your docket? Well, first up, uh, I made a little trip to the comic book store, but there's also on the other side a place where you can buy sports memorabilia. One that I have not visited until yesterday. Uh, I now like the very good sport basketball, and I said, I'm going to get a basketball card. And that prospect really excited me. So I got to talk to the basketball card man behind the counter. And uh, there was nothing on display for the Denver Nuggets. And uh, that may be not a surprise to many. So I had to specifically ask. But the basketball card man was really nice. And he pulled out some really fun looking like holographic cards that I was very excited about. I said, hey, how do I battle these? (laughs) I was like, oh, this is the rare holographic Jamal Murray. Where do I get the the mat that you use to lay these out and battle with? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's wearing his white jersey, so this is, you know, he's ice type. And uh, I have Clearly. Nikola Jokic, and he's wearing blue, so he's water type. And, I mean, that's a pretty good start. If I had a fire yeah, type, I would have, you know, I, would, I could cover the field. Without a doubt, yeah. I think a lightning type would be valuable, too, to cover the, the back end on that. But I think you also have to get that, that arm adapter thing so you can shoot the cards out of them. No, of course. Well, that's what I imagined. And now, Jackson, I did buy these cards because they're shiny and good looking and they have very handsome men on the front. But uh, yeah. he did say you cannot battle these. So here's where that seems like a problem to me. OK, it seems like a problem to me as well. Because I grew up not liking sports, as I think very few kids did. And I now also love the good sport of basketball, which is a weird thing we have in common now. Yeah. I also grew up playing an intense amount of the Pokemon battle trading game. And I know that's not the official name. I think the official name is the official Hasbro Pokemon trading card game. But that's what I grew up playing. And so I imagine that when you hand me a shiny Charizard card, my first thought is, this is going to smoke all those grass types up. Absolutely. And but I mean, now I have these two cards of these, these tall, handsome, athletic gentlemen. And what do I do with these? That was my question. I'm trying to, that's why I brought this to the meeting today, because I want to have something that I can, uh, I need some, an action item for these cards. Trying to, trying to relate this back to the joke of this being a business meeting, and it's a real difficulty for me. God (laughs) bless us, we try, but we are not good at improv. 
So what is the point of basketball cards? I think it's just to make me a little <laughs> bit sad. These guys are nine feet tall, have millions of dollars, and they're like 20 years old. I am older than both of the guys on these cards. And on one hand, you know, getting old is cool because I can eat ice cream whenever I want. I don't have a bedtime. On the other hand, it sucks. See, I, I guess what you're supposed to do with basketball cards is just collect them. But whenever I just collected Pokemon cards, I felt like a loser. <laughs> like, I have a book that's got Charizard on the front to this day full of Pokemon cards that I collected. And most of those I didn't get to battle anybody with because I was a loser. I think I'm supposed to hang on to these for 50 years and then these tiny pieces of cardboard will make me a millionaire. Moving on, I know we have a tight schedule. I have a second item here that I really need to get to. Clickbait has been around forever. Hard pivot there, but I don't know how to get to it. Clickbait, and I'm not going to pretend that our entire listener base isn't millennials, which is convenient because that means everyone already knows what clickbait is and I don't have to explain it to you or our listeners. Right. Then There's certainly a lot of fatigue around it now. I've definitely gotten a lot less enjoyment out of YouTube since clickbait became such a prominent issue. But it's really not something that like, it's like, oh, those damn millennials ruining everything. Clickbait has been around forever. Because I was reading a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which, but that book's been around for 80 years. And there's a chapter that's called The One Thing You Need to Know to Make Friends. And I was like, oh shit, the one thing? Time to read this chapter. (laughs) And I was set up. The answer was just like, be empathetic to people. And I couldn't believe that I had been clickbaited on paper. Well, I think the Guinness Book of World Records is also like a book of clickbait, right? Okay. Because the whole idea of the book is like, you won't believe how long (laughs) this lady's fingernails are. I wasn't even interested in how many straws you could fit in someone's mouth, but now I'm invested. And that book came out, the original like book was co-founded in 1954, which I bet if Those of you listening did not expect to learn Guinness Book of World Records history because we didn't clickbait you with a title about that. Mary Magdalene claims she's pregnant with the son of God. You won't believe what happens next. I do think probably that the you won't believe is more of a modern clickbait thing because I don't think that there would be like like the Wright brothers were walking down the street and somebody like just started shouting, you won't believe what these bicycle salesmen have created. (laughs) Well, I did get that from the new King James Version, and new was in bold red and underlined. <laughs> yeah, I guess clickbait has been there around for a while. Do you have some more time on the doc- docket box? I've got something I wanted to bring forward to this committee hearing. Um, My docket box resume is all checked out, and the synergy has been fully capacitated. Okay, this business talk is over. I want to talk about glasses. Okay. I've been thinking about glasses because I own a pair of sunglasses. And the right, like, everybody knows glasses, right? (laughs) I I know of them, yeah. You know how they go over your ears and sit on your nose? I've witnessed this. I'm a 2020 boy, but I have witnessed this. But you have owned a pair of sunglasses in your 2020 life, haven't you? Oh, yeah, those do kind of work the same. Yeah, I think they kind of do. I'm a 2020 boy as well. But what I've been thinking about is I have a pair of glasses where the right ear thing fell off. And so it's just the front piece of the glasses and then the left like leg and I've been wearing them as normal glasses and I've just been thinking about how wild it is that at some point somebody came up with this concept I've been thinking about what were other options for glasses like were there ones where they just like hung down from above your head (laughs) and the the glasses like laid there like 
What did they do before they figured out, oh, we could lay them on the ears and the nose? The monocle being a symbol of wealth is kind of ironic because that is the most inconvenient way possible. (laughs) What if you have two bad eyes? You have to just switch them back and forth really quick? Well, no, if you have two bad eyes, you close one. Oh, of course. But yeah, you could also just hold two monocles if that was an issue. Oh, I bet one of the first options was where they had like one long piece of glass across both eyes and then a string that tied it around your head. (laughs) Right? You know, anything, any sort of system you can rig up to do the function of a pair of glasses that's not what we have today is pretty dang funny to me. Like the idea of wearing a a baseball cap and then there's like two hinged, like it's like a shop sign with a piece of glass hanging down and it's just free swinging in the air. I mean, what's really great about the, the, uh, the engineering of the modern pair of glasses is that you can have the left to right stick break off and it still stays on your face. Then you get to pretend you're wearing a scouter from Dragon Ball Z. It felt really convenient to wear just two-thirds of the glasses. It's less weight. It's less neck strain. I mean, certainly that's the that's an aspect, but then you've got the off-balance, and you could be off-balance for the rest of your life, so I'm a little worried about that part. But more that, like, I was driving and wearing these glasses, and all of a sudden it got a little too dark, and so I was taking the glasses off. I realized I can do that easily one hand, just pull it away from that corner of my face. That's great. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to bring to the docket today, businessman. Excellent. We've done good business here today, and I'm I'm hopeful for our financial future. I work in an office. You think I'd be better at this? <laughs> what do we do here? We're like a conspiracy podcast. You want to talk about something related to that? We've been talking about nonsense for 15 minutes now, so let's let's talk about something weird. So recently we talked about the Hammersmith Ghost, and that is still one of my favorite episodes. I am a huge fan of the Victorian era. I may have even mentioned this on that episode, so apologies if I'm repeating myself. But that's like my favorite setting for a fantasy thing. The 1800s were an interesting time for London, to say the least. I mean, this is the era of Jack the Ripper, and it's kind of like this weird hodgepodge of like old world superstition that's being blended in with modern living and technology. So it's modern enough that we can kind of see it from our our perspective, but it's also old enough that you have these folk tales and folklore that are still a prominent part of people's lives. And it's just an interesting time. So I bring up the Hammersmith Ghost because I do want to go ahead and have that set as the backdrop for this. Because early 1800s was a really popular, there was ghost culture in London. It was a phenomenon, a phenomena, if you will. And this is kind of where the the origin, I mean, a lot of comic books and like uh, pulp fiction kind of gets its start here. Because this is where you start getting these things called Penny Dreadfuls. And I think there's like a show on Netflix with that title. But a Penny Dreadful is. is a pamphlet that's basically like um, a comic book with fewer illustrations. That's just like a sensationalist tabloid sort of production that focuses on often paranormal events or some crime. 1800s clickbait, bringing that back. So it was kind of like this self-perpetuating thing where people were seeing ghosts and then these tabloids called Penny Dreadfuls would print stories with the uh, quote-unquote true accounts and then that would stir people's imaginations and then they too would see ghosts and other paranormal events. It was kind of like a train of dominoes. Sure, a train of dominoes. And then more of a more of a chain of dominoes. I don't know. I don't know what dominoes come in boxes. I imagine, but like the way the way that sounds is these people would write something that 
talks about the sightings of ghosts, people would see ghosts. And so more people would write about seeing ghosts. Absolutely. Yeah. And and this became, I mean, the, the fact that this cycle existed is evident in the fact that it was so prominent in London and not so much everywhere else. Because you go to the newsstand and it's like you have the newspaper that's like, this district installs a gas lamp. And then next to it, woman has her face torn off by a goat man. It's like, which one are you going to buy? We have a new cryptid to add to the pile of ghosts and spooks and haunts that had appeared in this time that is pretty unique. And you never saw anything like it again in this era. I'm talking about Spring-Heeled Jack. And the fact that we don't know about him today would be surprising to Londoners at the time. Because he was such a popular character in fiction. I mean, he's... I don't know if if it may be too bold to say he's one of the first characters that could be considered pop culture. But he certainly was that. He was pop. Euler at the time. Everyone knows who Spring-Heeled Jack is. So the fact that he's been lost to time is almost a little sad. Before I get into this story, I want to give you a picture of what this character looks like. Because that's really important to be able to imagine what these people were reacting to. The figure of Spring-Heeled Jack making his appearance in the 1830s is a tall, cloaked, rather dapper figure with a devilish face including horns and gleaming eyes. So this is a handsome fellow. He's a handsome devil. Still scary. He's he, But a handsome devil. But a handsome devil in the most literal sense, correct. What even makes him more unique is that he didn't really attack anyone. He just played cruel pranks, specifically on women and law enforcement. So women, he would often jump, tear their clothes, and then run away. And then... Law enforcement, his whole, the whole goal was just to scare the hell out of him. He's said to have been able to breathe blue fire and able to leap buildings and fences with ease, which made him so elusive and get, made it easy for him to evade capture. This is what gave him the spring-heeled part of spring-heeled Jack. Now, the highest that a human being has ever jumped, according to Guinness Book of World Records, the book of clickbait, the highest standing box jump is 58 inches. Definitely impressive, but you can't clear a building. You clear a small building. You clear a very small building. In this time of paranoia of the paranormal, if you see breathing blue flames and jumping over buildings, you want to immediately go to Demon, but that's another thing that makes Spring Hill Jack unique, is that he was not considered paranormal. Everyone thought it was a person. And this is, it gets, it's confusing because what we have, the records we have are just a mishmash of penny dreadfuls and police accounts and newspaper clippings. And it's kind of hard to pin down where this all starts. But it's generally agreed that it starts here in 1837. A girl by the name Mary Stevens was walking to Lavender Hill. She was working as a servant visiting her parents. But on her way through, a strange figure leapt at her from a dark alley. He immobilized her with tight grips of his arms while ripping her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws, which were, according to her, cold and clammy as those of a corpse. In a panic, she screamed, making the attacker quickly flee from the scene. The commotion brought several residents who immediately launched a search for the aggressor, but he could not be found. Next day... A leaping character is said to have chosen a very different victim near Mary Stevens' home. 
he used a method that would appear again and again in later reports, jumping in the way of a passing carriage, causing the coachman to lose control and crash, severely injuring himself. Several witnesses claimed that he escaped by jumping over nine feet to clear a wall and was babbling in a high-pitched ringing laughter, a cacophony of cackles, if you will. <laughs> that is a good phrase. Quickly, the press latched on and the public gave the name spring Jack. I love this because what it sounds like, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but what it sounds like is this guy does mostly normal human things, but then can also jump over buildings. Yes. I mean, this is this <laughs> character is actually, I don't know who to credit this to, but it's kind of easy to get here where he's kind of seen as like the spiritual predecessor to Batman. Even though he's an asshole, he's not a good guy. He he is a human, but he essentially has some form of gadgetry that allows him to perform these feats. Because again, people didn't believe they were seeing an actual demon. They thought they were seeing a human being breathing fire and jumping over buildings. Maybe the spring-heeled part of spring Hill Jack was more literal, and they thought he was wearing spring shoes. Homie's wearing moon boots. Moon boots? <laughs> <laughs> This guy was one of the first things that people thought was a human with some special crazy ability. Yeah, this is the birth of modern pop culture. And I mean, certainly the birth of the modern idea of the superhero. On the same hand, though, I think today's competition, similar to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, where we thought that if Seinfeld came out today, nobody would allow that dumb slap bass. Well, sure, he's a, li- he's a little goofy. I mean, he he's often shown wearing tights and uh, a little cape that doesn't really go very far past his butt. And uh, he's- But I mean, even just without the visuals of it, the premise of this guy will bully you and then jump over a building to get away. Yeah. Is great, but not within the archetypes we have established in sure. our modern day. We don't really think of a hero as someone who jumps out and rips the clothes off a woman. And he's like, nice titties. <laughs> and jumps over a car. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is documented history, though. The sightings I described were later described in magazines that, I mean, let's be honest, they had the incentive to exaggerate because it sold papers or tabloids or penny dreadfuls, whatever you want to call them. Clickbait. I mean, it was clickbait, but the official recognition happened very quickly after. The Lord Mayor of, of London, Sir John Cohen, held a public session just to discuss this figure. Because he had received com- written complaints, many, about the figure Spring-Heeled Jack and what a menace he was. So it, we do know for a fact that it was a big enough concern that a public session was held just to address it. So in this meeting, he, re- he read a letter that was just signed, a resident of Peckham, which is a very 1800s things to do, saying, and I'm going to get into this a little bit, it's understandably old English with an E at the end of old. But he says, it appears that some individuals at, of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life, have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion that he durst take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London, disguised as a ghost, a bear, or a devil, and moreover, that he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted. And the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are not likely to recover, but become burdens to their families. The affair has been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. I have reason to believe that they have the whole history at their finger ends, but 
through interested motives, they are inclined to remain silent. And what he's saying there is an interesting theory that became the predominant theory, and also what likens him most to Batman, is that this is an individual who is from the aristocracy. So spring Jack is a real person, and he's filthy rich. And basically, he has nothing better to do but to spend his money on fancy moon shoes and parlor tricks that, you know, like, you have flash paper, and I mean, magicians at the time were already able to produce flame at a moment's notice. And, yeah. I mean, this is all kind of feasible if you're rich enough and bored enough. Do you think this was a real person? I do, yes. I mean, I definitely don't think I it was a demon. But, I mean, are you asking if I think it had happened at all? Yeah, I guess I guess that is what I'm asking because I don't believe it's a demon either. Do you think it's a real person that did exist that did torture people like this? That is certainly a possibility. The aristocracy at the time, I mean, I think now the, the idea of, we view people who are filthy rich as kind of villainous and criminals. And it's like, well, they clearly had to do something underhanded to get that much money, right? Nowadays? Nowadays, yeah. But the predominant feeling towards the aristocracy which is and the newly emerged wealthy merchant class, the bourgeois, was not so much that they were wicked, but they were just bored, spoiled children. Huh. And there was a little bit to back that up. But that whenever there was any sort of like prankery going on, it was always blamed on the aristocracy because it's like, well, they don't they don't work, so they don't have anything better to do. Do you think that there was there would be more people like Springheel Jack that would be aristocracy bullying people in theatrical ways like this? I mean, the uh, the Hammersmith Ghost was bra- was uh, blamed on the aristocracy. The idea that one of them had lost a bet, which is a convenient narrative. Just because they didn't have anything else to fill their day with. I mean, we're a long ways from TV, so what else are you going to do? This character existed for quite some time before he fell into obscurity. And further sightings, I'm going to bet are copycats. I mean, here's the high concept that I wanted to bring up. Because once they they announced from the Lord Mayor that this figure was at large, then reports started pouring in of people seeing this guy, right? So, do similarities in reports of paranormal events, do that, does that serve as proof that there is a singular entity, or is that actually proof of the opposite, that people are just being copycats? Because you can kind of use it as evidence for either side. It could be argued for both. I lean more towards that it's copycats. Certainly. Um, but that's also the much easier way to lean. But it is interesting that it could be worked out both ways. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's the high concept, because there's not really a definitive answer to this. But, I mean, you have aliens, the greys, right? The little pale guys with the big bulging eyes. And if there was an alien race, they would look similar to each other. So, on one hand, you could say people describing them exactly the same is proof that it's one, like, it's one single species. Or you can say it's proof that they're not very imaginative and they're just stealing other people's stories. It's based on the whole idea that, like, if I see a movie and then read the book, I'm going to envision those people playing those characters in that book when I'm reading it, right? Yeah. So if we're to believe the sentiment at the time and that it was a wealthy person with nothing better to do, well, then who could it have been? We actually have a potential culprit, the young Irish nobleman, Lord Henry Beresford. And this guy, if you see a picture, again, I understand this is an audio format. He's he, the the painting of him now. He's wearing a suit of armor, and he still looks like a, a absolute doughboy. 
Hope that's not a slur in 10 years. He looks like a doughboy. But uh, he was still frequently in the news for drunken brawling, brutal jokes, vandalism, and was said to do anything for a bet. He had irregular behavior and was known to hold contempt against women and the law. His hmm. rap sheet definitely fits the character. He actually already had the title, The Mad Marquise. And it was also known and documented that he was in London at the time of the first incidents. Wild. It's pretty clear that this guy was probably the spring Hill Jack. Later accounts, the historical account of spring Hill Jack that was written in the 1890s, the author then went so far as to say that this was the guy who did it. Now, we don't actually wow. have proof of that. We're ju he just thought that the coincidences were too great to ignore. That makes sense. So all jokes so aside, my, my theory for what this is, is that it did start as a person who was dressed up, scared a person, and then ran off into the night. Her being understandably terrified greatly exaggerated in her mind what he was capable of. He may have, he may have jumped over a fence. And then to her, that was jumping nine feet. Huh. And maybe he had flash paper, and to her, that was breathing fire. Because if you don't know yeah. if you're going to be murdered, you go into a little bit of that fight or flight kind of mode, right? She's a little bit stressed out at the time. I live most of my life not knowing if I'm going to be murdered. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But not, but not within the immediate area. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more like if you think there's a chance you might be murdered. So I think it was a real occurrence the first few times. And then it was just such a juicy story that it just took off from there. And a lot of the things that he's known for now were probably added on in post. Yeah. He hasn't completely fallen into obscurity, though. Most recently, he appeared in Assassin's Creed. There was an Assassin's Creed that took place in Victorian England. And there's a mission in which your goal is to figure out who Spring Hill Jack is. So a lot of people oh, know the fun. character from that. Also, there's um, an item in Elder Scrolls, Oblivion, where you can get these boots that make you jump higher, and they're called the boots of Springheel Jack. But uh, I just, I love this character, and I think it's, I think what makes him extra fascinating is like, is is because he would not be written today. It's he's such a unique yeah. character because he comes from this very specific time and place, and he was the product of that level of paranoia and superstition, but also skepticism and modern technology yeah i love that but that's all i have on good old Moonshoes jack well i am currently sitting outside in sub 30 degree weather and so i'd love if we could take a chance to hit the snopes So today's topic is about dogs. Have you have you seen a dog, Asher? I'm familiar. If you've not heard of dogs, I'd like you to leave a nasty review in our iTunes comments. Today's topic is about, and I didn't know that Snopes could do this, but Snopes apparently can post a fact check article and then not answer the article. Okay. So this is about our, our tennis balls toxic to dogs. And a lot of this comes from people who were worried that the chemical burns or could that dogs can suffer chemical burns from chewing on tennis balls. And the rating for this is unclear. Oh, geez. I don't like that. But if you dive in a little bit deeper into the Snopes article, they talk about how 
technically, no, the chemicals on the outside of the ball are not bad. People found that sometimes dogs would develop a swollen tongue and stuff, but it's not from the actual tennis ball itself. Okay, well, well let's the do issue it then. is that the dog is just moving that ball around so much that friction is causing that. Wow. You do need to be careful a little bit with tennis balls and dogs because tennis balls can compress really small and then will grow again. And so if you if your dog swallows part of a tennis ball, it can be dangerous. Mm. I think you should still let your dog play with tennis balls as long as you make sure that you take it away from them when you're not around. Now, I'm familiar yeah. with the with a tennis ball, but um, this dog thing. Can you explain that? Can you explain a dog? For the listeners yeah, at home, so, uh, I'm, I'm going to... Ma- I'm going to so, make you do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you are. So uh, think about think about what you are as a person. Okay. Okay. Let's break it down to the bare essentials. You know how most of, I know you, Asher, have hair on the top of your head, correct? Yeah. Uh, what's wild, and uh, hold on to your hats here, is that dogs actually have that kind of hair all over their body. Well, don't they get hot? That sounds pretty hot. It sounds pretty hot, but are you wearing clothes right now? I'm going to say yes to make you feel comfortable. Okay, well, I'm going to pretend you just said yes and didn't say the rest. Dogs, that's kind of like what their fur is. Yes, they can get a little bit hot sometimes, but the gaps between the hair make it pretty easy to stay cool. Now, have you seen a horse before? Oh, well, obviously. Okay, well, why didn't you just say that? Because dogs are basically just small, friendly horses that humans have domesticated. Oh. Yeah, really makes you think. What a convenient form of transportation. What? What a convenient form of transportation. I'm, I just have to get a, no, I, I to get a I, slightly I, I, smaller saddle, but um, I'm excited to be able to to head to the market on my dog because the horse is. Uh, I mean, I think, he just ta- he he eats too much. You know, it's really inefficient. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's not worth it from here. I'm done with this bit. Yeah. I'm done with this bit. Everybody, what are we on it's about? Over. <laughs> what is holding a dog together? I, I, the, the dog. Oh, what am I? What am I even getting at here? Why dogs have the most specific and bizarre rules of any animal because there are so many different kinds of them no which is like give your dog peanut butter he loves it give your dog chocolate it's dead excuse me (laughs) like i could i could feed my dog an orange but if i feed it a mother effing plum it'll die here's this cat drop it off a house it's fine here's a dog it drops from three feet now it's broken forever what is these things are mad inconsistent (laughs) <laughs> I've always also been wondering, like, there are so many different kinds of dogs. Do you think that if we hadn't domesticated them, we would call them different species? If there was naturally a pug and naturally a Great Dane and it wasn't just people from ancient England just ruining wolves, then we would probably classify them as different species. Yeah. <laughs> I think something had to start out looking closer to a pug than a wolf, though, because I don't think you just smash two wolves together and get a pug. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's all I've got though. Well, I've learned enough about exotic pets for today, so I'm going to go ahead and just begin the housekeeping. Our theme song is Threadbare off the album Burn of Proof. That's from Glenn Merle. Thanks to him for letting us use that song for both the intro and outro. Check it out on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get music. He has a whole album. You can listen to the whole thing. It's all good. And thanks to Connor Voigt for the Hit the Snopes jingle. Always a bop. And then uh, if you want to follow us on our social media, we have a Twitter at S Confident Show and Instagram at Strictly Confidential Show. 
and an email if you want to shoot us anything. If you want to tell us that you've never seen a dog and want us to come to your house and show you what a dog looks like, we could do that. Uh, our email is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. If you would like to be on the show, we would like to interview you. Come and tell us about your experiences. And if you like our show, and if you've made it this far, you probably do, tell your best friend that they would like it also. You guys have similar tastes, so they might like this. Clearly. Is that all we do? Is that uh, is that all we do? I think that's all we do. Is that all we do? I think it's about all we're good for. You've been listening to Strictly Confidential. I've been Asher. And I've been Jackson. And until next time, stay on your heels. That's all right. That's good enough.